We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. With the seventh pick in the 2023 NBA Draft, the Indiana Pacers select Bilal Koulibaly from Courbevoie, France. With the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA Draft, the Washington Wizards select Jarris Walker from the University of Houston. Jarris Walker, man, I was excited about that pick last night. Uh, Wizards picking Jarris Walker from Houston at number eight overall. No, they didn't. Uh, they actually did not. They drafted Bilal Koulibaly uh, because they traded up one spot and selected Koulibaly with the number seven selection, which was held by the Indiana Pacers, but they made a trade. You know, in the NFL draft, when we watch the draft show and the and the trades are made, you get Roger Goodell who will come to the podium and he'll say, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles have traded the number 12 pick in the first round to the Chicago Bears. And with that selection, the Chicago Bears select. Boom. That's the way it's done. Real-time announcement of trades. I don't know why the NBA continues to get this so wrong and make it so confusing for everybody. If you are watching this draft without sound, if you are watching this draft in a bar, if you go to ESPN.com right now, it still doesn't reflect the players drafted by the correct teams. It's crazy. It makes no sense at all. Uh, John Kime is coming up on the show. Uh, I recorded with John uh, earlier uh, today, and we spent roughly an hour uh, together getting into a lot of things that we didn't anticipate getting into, including John Kime's career. You know, where John's from, how he got here, who he worked for when he got to D.C., um, his favorite Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders season that he covered. We both agreed on the season that was the most exciting to cover, and we talked about that season uh, for a while. Uh, And then we got into a lot of – we talked about the name uh, for a bit, and then we got into um, a lot of stuff involving the actual team this year uh, and what's going on. So John Kime 
coming up uh, shortly. The show today presented by MyBookie. Use my promo code at MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag for a chance at a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. Just use my promo code, KevinDC, to claim your bonus. Uh, The Wizards over-under number, by the way, on wins is 8.5 at MyBookie. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But I would bet you it's not going to be much higher than 24 or 25 for next season. But they won't post the over-unders on NBA seasons until we get closer to the season because we haven't even had free agency. Uh, That starts uh, a week from tomorrow, I believe. Um, But anyway, mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. Kevin DC is the promo code. Uh, you need to use. Uh, there is some breaking news um, as we are recording the podcast. It came out a little while ago. Uh, Mark Maskey uh, from the Washington Post, along with Nikki Javala, reporting that the owners um, have scheduled a special meeting for July 20th. So July 20th will be the date that they vote not August 8th. Remember, I think it was Mark and Nikki who last week um, reported that there were two dates that owners were asked to set aside. Um, but they're now uh, they've now nailed it down to July 8th is going or July 20th, excuse me, July 20th is going to be the date for expected ratification. So July 20th, 2023 will be a day of celebration. Uh, I feel like we've already celebrated a few times, but that will be the official date that the owners vote and ratify Josh Harris and his group as the new owners of the team. There's a quote in here, by the way, in their story. Um, First of all, the eight-owner finance committee is ready to move this to a vote on July 20th. They seem to be uh, comfortable. There's a quote that says, everything's on track. The team and the league and the Harris group all want to get it done. I don't see any really, I don't see any real problems there. There's every reason to believe it should get done by then. Um, the uh, finance committee continues to view Harris's deal favorably, uh, according to uh, a person on the condition of anonymity. Uh, and then there's another quote that I thought was interesting because I've talked a lot about how I don't know why they're waiting. Why, like, why are we waiting now? It's June 23rd. Why can't they vote this weekend via Zoom and let Harris take over next week and get rolling on all the things that they need to get rolling on? Um, There's a quote here that says, uh, the sooner the Harris group can get in control, the better a person with knowledge of the NFL's deliberations said. Everyone wants them to be able to get in there as soon as they can. They want to get something done sooner rather than later. Uh, It just makes sense that it gets done. I would expect unanimous approval. Close quote. Uh, It's just that we're not going to get that unanimous approval, expected unanimous approval, until July 20th, uh, a month from now, a little bit less than a month from now. But apparently the owners don't vote by by Zoom. Uh, they will vote in person for in a special meeting on July 20th. Um, it's too bad that they can't do it another way. Uh, but whatever. Um, we're not going to look back, you know, five, ten years from now and say, oh, my God, they should have uh, ratified it in, you know, in mid to late June. They lost so much. No, we won't say that, but they are losing time with respect to some important things that they'd like to start to address that they can't address until they take control of the team, like new stadium 
uh, all of the talks. Um, apparently, Magic Johnson got into a bit of trouble when he met with Maryland Governor Wes Moore. Uh, so they aren't allowed to do anything uh, right now. Uh, so that was the breaking news this morning. You may have seen the news yesterday from Sportico uh, on the Qatar Investment Fund, Qatar, Qatar Investment Fund. Um, Eben Novi Williams, who writes for Sportico, wrote it. He was on with me on radio this morning and uh, you know described what the investment is. It's the first sovereign money investment into a major pro sports team. So TED and Monumental Sports and Entertainment are taking $200 million for a 5% stake, which means that their whole entity, which includes... The four teams they own, the Wizards, the Caps, the Mystics, and the Go-Go, um, and then you know the Capital, Capital One Arena and the Monumental Sports Network, which used to be NBC Sports Washington, and other real estate holdings and other technology plays, like um, including, by the way, their eSports teams, uh, that that whole uh, conglomerate uh, you know, has a $4 billion valuation on it. Um, the $200 million comes in at a good time because the Wizards are probably going to drop in revenue the next couple of years. But it also may be a part of, you know, the purchase of the Nationals maybe down the road. All right. Uh, let's get to some thoughts on the Wizards. Not only the draft last night, but what turned out to be the announcement yesterday um, of all of the detail involving the three trades that they made this week. And I'm going to start with that. You know, I'm going to take you through kind of the uh, flow chart, if you will, of everything that the Wizards got back for the players they traded because we now have it, if not officially announced by the teams, we have it reported with great detail. Uh, by people like Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN and others. So let's start with Bradley Beal. The Bradley Beal trade to Phoenix, all right, which also included included Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd. They got back for Bradley Beal officially Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, six second-round picks in 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 2030, and four pick swaps in 24, 26, 28, and 2030. Pick swaps, for those of you who don't know, are essentially options that the Wizards have in the in the first round of the draft those years to swap selections with the Phoenix Suns. So if Phoenix has a higher pick, the Wizards would swap with them. If they don't have a higher pick, that option essentially expires. So these four pick swaps could amount to nothing if Phoenix has a later first-round pick in all four of those drafts than the Wizards do. I would certainly expect in 2024, and maybe even in 2026, the Wizards to have um, better positioned first-round picks than Phoenix. But who knows by the time you get to 2028 and 2030. And there's always the uh, you know the chance that you end up with a Phoenix team that's decimated by injuries and ends up winning 25 games instead of contending for the Western Conference Finals. And the Wizards benefit from that. Um, but those pick swaps can be worth something or they may not be. They are options 
um, for the Wizards. So that's what came back for Bradley Beal. Um, Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd as well. Paul Shamit, six six rounders and four pick swaps. And then the three-way trade, which really was a trade between the Wizards and the Celtics, and then the Celtics and the Grizzlies, Kristaps Porzingis uh, brought back Tyus Jones, a second-round pick last night, which was number 35 overall, uh, Danilo uh, Gallinari, and Mike Muscala. All right, that's what came back for Porzingis. And then... Chris Paul, who was acquired in the Beal trade with Phoenix, was traded yesterday along with the Wizards' number 57 pick, which was a second rounder last night. That was sent to Golden State for Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins, a 2030 first round pick. There's your first round pick. It is top 20 protected, according to reports, and a 2027 second rounder. Now, the Wizards traded that number 57 pick along with Chris Paul to Golden State for Patrick Baldwin Jr. He was picked in the first round last year by Golden State at number 28 overall. So, in summary, Bradley Beal Jordan Goodwin, Isaiah Todd, but really Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis, and Chris Paul for Landry Shamit, Tyus Jones, Gallinari, Muscala, Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., seven second-round picks, one protected first-round pick in 2030, and four pick swaps. Hopefully you followed along. Um, that's the trades. Then last night in the draft, they were set to select uh, at number eight. They traded with Indiana, moved up to number seven. They gave up two second rounders, their second rounder in the year 2028, and one of the second rounders they acquired from Phoenix in 2028. And they selected Bilal Koulibaly from France. More on him in a second. They also traded in the second round that number 35 pick, that they had acquired as part of um, the Porzingis trade. They traded that to Chicago for multiple second-round picks. Number 42 last night, they selected uh, Tristan Vukovic. Um, Whether or not he'll come over or not, we don't know. And then at number 57, again, that was part of the Chris Paul deal. They traded that as part of that deal to Golden State for Patrick Baldwin Jr., So I'll get into the draft and the players here in a moment. Let me just talk about the trades. I love the philosophical approach. Like I said yesterday and the day before, they are tearing this thing down to the studs. A caller said, actually, it's the foundation. They're replacing the foundation. Uh, I had Will Dawkins, the general manager on the radio show. You can listen to that at theteam980.com. He referred to it as kind of a reshaping. He also um, talked about, you know, the challenges with the – you know, the first two trades and the contracts that they inherited uh, on Beal and Porzingis. Um, But anyway, um, I love what they're doing. I think they have to do it this way. They're not a franchise that, 
you know, a great player like Kevin Durant is going to team up with two other players and come to D.C. to immediately contend for an NBA championship. It's just not the place that players want to do it for some reason. So they've got to do it uh, the way in which Philadelphia has tried to do it. Uh, Oklahoma City's tried to do it. They've got to essentially, you know, go the route of a process of accumulating a lot of draft picks, a lot of young players um, with some talent, um, a lot of young players that are under contract for a while that could become good trade chips. Uh, they had to clear the decks from a salary cap standpoint so that they could, you know, have this, you know, blank canvas to build a roster over the next few years. I love what they're doing from that standpoint. I think it makes total sense. With respect to what they got back for Beal, Porzingis, and Paul, um, I like it. I don't love it because I, like many of you, would have preferred to have seen multiple first-round picks as part of all of this. But I understand why they didn't get multiple first-round picks. They had Bradley Beal in total control over his future with a massive contract and a no-trade clause. That's on Ted Leonsis. That's not on this new group. That's on the old group. Um, they had a one-year uh, player option. Kristaps uh, Porzingis did. That gave him the leverage. Now, what they got back for Chris Paul, I'm thrilled with because there was actually reporting the other day that they may work out a buyout. And I said on the show either yesterday or the day before, I don't want a buyout for Chris Paul. I don't care about doing the right thing for a legendary player. The Wizards don't owe him anything. It's now got to be about what's best for them, not what's best for their reputation and the way they deal with players. Both things are important, but winning and doing the right thing for your franchise is the most important thing. And they got back, you know, Jordan Poole. We talked about it at the end of the podcast yesterday because that news broke. Look, Jordan Poole is probably, other than the overall philosophical approach, the big story this week is Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole's going to average, you know, 25-plus a game for this team next year. Now, maybe they're just going to tee him up to trade him, for, you know, at the deadline next year for a lot of future picks. I don't know. They could possibly do the same thing with Tyus Jones. But if Jones and Poole are in the backcourt together – um, Poole is going to average a lot of points. He's a big-time scorer. I did not love the way he behaved during the postseason with Golden State. He sulked. Um, he didn't play well. Um, but he can flat-out shoot it and score. Uh, his range is ridiculous. And he's going to have maybe a green light to get 30, you know, to get 25-plus shot attempts up a night minimum. Would not be surprised if Jordan Poole ends up you know, as a top three to five scorer in the NBA uh, next year. Um, he's kind of the biggest, you know, story in terms of the transactions. But the big picture is the Wizards are all in right now on a total rebuild. And they're going to suck for a few years. You know, what they have left roster-wise, you know, assume it's Jones, Poole, Abdia, Kispert, Gafford, they still got DeLon Wright and Monty Morris on the team. I like DeLon Wright a lot. Um, they'll have Baldwin Jr. They'll have Shamit. They'll have Gallinari coming off a knee injury. Johnny Davis. 
Um, Gill they've got on the on the roster. We'll see whether or not Koulibaly's ready more on him in a moment. Uh, I actually think like a backcourt of Jones and Poole, um, I, you know, I hope that they don't threaten 25 to 30 wins. Like you really want, you know, you, you want to see this thing bottom out. You want to see, uh, you know, uh, what what San Antonio ended up winning, you know, 22 games. You want to see Detroit 17 wins next year. You want to see a chance for the next two years uh, at selections in the top two to three of the draft. Now, on the player um, that they drafted, the players that they drafted, the G League, overtime elite, international players, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't watch those games. I watched a lot of highlights of Bilal Koulibaly. I read a lot about him. And I think, you know, you've got a player who grew recently from like 6'3 to 6'8. He's got a 7'2 wingspan. Um, what you see on, you know, sort of the film is he is a defender. He is a willing defender and with his length. And because he was a guard and a smaller player at one point, he moves his feet very well. And at that level, playing for the Metropolitan 92s with with Victor Wembanyama uh, in France, he was on his team, um, he really could defend. And Will Dawkins backed that up uh, with me on radio. Will Dawkins said uh, he's a, a willing and very capable defender right now. Um, offensively, he's got a ways to go. And you, you don't see it in his ball handling. He handles it well. He's got very good vision and appears to be a good passer with good basketball IQ. Um, he wasn't a big-time scorer, but I didn't think that the stroke looked bad. I think he could develop into a good offensive player. But what they drafted was an 18-year-old player, okay, um, the third youngest in last night's draft with massive upside. And that's the right thing to do considering where they are. You don't want a Johnny Davis type of selection you want the guy with a massive ceiling. And at that point in the draft, they viewed him to have the biggest ceiling. It's a boom, it's a big boomer bust, according to a lot of the draft experts. Uh, but um, that goes hand in hand with their philosophy right now of long-term approach. And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna accumulate as much as we can. We're gonna keep our salary cap straight so that we can move when we want to move. Um, and we're gonna take players with big time upside. And that's what they did uh, in this kid Bilal Koulibaly. Um, and then in the second round, uh, what they ended up getting is they got Tristan uh, Tristan uh, Vukovic, you know, a kid who's six ten, six eleven, can stretch the floor. Um, and looks like one of those prototypical Euro bigs who can shoot it, who can put it on the floor. And we'll see, because it's very possible that he's not even going to come over right away. So that's the draft last night for the Wizards. And with number 57, they ended up getting Patrick Baldwin Jr. I'm actually excited about the pick, because you know, in watching him play a couple of times this year, and he did not get a lot. Of, of playing time in Golden State. He was their first-round pick a year ago at 28 overall.
but man, he can stroke it from, you know, long range. You know, I was going through, you know, some of the box scores and looking for some of the the bigger games he had. And look, he didn't play in a lot of games, but he had a game uh, in December um, where they got run by Brooklyn. In fact, it was um, it was that uh, stretch uh, with Brooklyn um, where they had. Um, they had that kid off the bench that was scoring a lot of points, and I'm forgetting his name now. Anyway, um, in that particular game, uh, Baldwin Jr. had 17 points in 23 minutes, 5 of 8 from behind the arc, 6 of 10 uh, overall. The next night in a win over Utah, he had 11 off the bench in 13 minutes. He was 3 for 5 from behind the arc. So they gave him some minutes in back-to-back games and he ended up shooting, you know, 10 of 17 from the floor, 8 of 13 from behind the arc. Um, there were a couple of other games. He had back-to-back games uh, in February uh, where he played uh, just 10 in 16 minutes, but he had 11 points in both of those games where he was 3 for 5 from behind the arc in both of those games. So he shot 60%. Uh, in back-to-back games. He can really stroke it. Uh, And I'm actually, and he's 6'9", by the way, and he's not super, super skinny. You know, he's not physically built out. I'm looking for his weight right now. Um, Because I'm going to guess that he's 200 pounds, 210, something like that. Which, you know, he he looks kind of thin and skinny, but I don't think he is necessarily. He's 220. He's 6'9", 220. So that's essentially part of what they got back in last night's draft as well, trading number 57 overall as part of the Paul uh, deal for Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, But overall, you know, man, what a busy week for the Washington Wizards. I can't remember a busier week uh, for the Wizards um, than this past week with them being in the news. Almost every major trade was a trade they were involved in. I love what they're doing. I like the return and there's no guarantee that the outcome we all want as Wizards fans, which would be to be a contender somewhere down the road. That's not guaranteed. Um, But uh, it was pretty much a guarantee that they would never contend doing it the way they were doing it. So there you go. All right. Let's get to John Kime next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Don't forget to rate us and follow us on Apple and Spotify and any other platform that allows you to do it. Uh, it's very helpful uh, for us. John Kime jumps on with us right now, at John underscore Kime. I don't have to introduce John, really. Everybody that is listening knows who John is. He's only covered the football team for about 25 years. Actually, how many years exactly have you been on the beat? How many years have you been on the beat? I've zipped. I've zipped past 25. I think, I think, I have to go back and add it up, but it's since 94, so I believe this would be, what, my 30th season. Good God. No, so you have not I'm, covered I'm like, one good football team <laughs> in 30 well, I years. I told my wife, so it was 1994, and if you had like a young John Common, my time, you can picture me in my living room and tell my wife, yeah, yeah, honey, one Super Bowl run and I'm out of here. <laughs> and here we are. But it's, I, you know, and I joke because it's almost a little bit like Morgan Freeman at Shawshank. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you've you've but, been institutionalized it, yeah. for sure. It, 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 but but I will say, listen, if 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 the worst thing in my life is covering a bad NFL or a mediocre to bad NFL franchise for thirty years, the worst thing I've had it pretty good because it's football. So I, I I enjoy it. But yeah, it's been a while. Well, when you when you said that to your wife, and you may have been you know joking, but but in oh, all in all kidding, se- yeah. I know, but in all seriousness, had you listen. covered a Super Bowl team or two, there would have been huge opportunities for you um, that perhaps <clears throat> didn't materialize because you were covering poor teams. Well, there, there's there's that, and there's like with for example with Robert when he was here. And you see the way ESPN is with um, people who cover high-level athletes and players like that for an extended period. And not that it, and it's not so much like, oh, could you have parlayed it into something bigger? But what does it mean for your career? And you know what? What you know? And so it, it just it means more visibility or whatever it is. And and um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you think about that once in a while. But like I said, I mean, I like. I like covering a team. I've always enjoyed that because I like um, having the knowledge of one team and interacting with the fan base, um, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. But, but yes, you know, you, you like, I mean, Brian Windhorst parlayed LeBron into a massive uh, profile for himself. And, it, you know, my goal wasn't to become some national guy. However, you just you wonder where does it go if you cover Robert if he's at if he's at the level we thought he was going to be at for ten years, then there's just there's a lot more opportunities and um, and it could just even be within this market, but there's just a lot more opportunities. Yeah, um, I mean you know the opportunities for for people like you would be books um, and, you know, advancing perhaps right. even with a much higher profile on television, yeah. on the network that you do work for occasionally I, and that you right. write for um, as I, your full-time gig. Yeah. yeah. Right. I know, like, I know my colleagues that have, you know, who cover high profile teams, what it's meant in many ways for themselves. And even if they're still covering those same teams, which I'd have been happy to keep doing that because I've done it, but um, and there have been a couple opportunities where it's like, could I have gone somewhere else? Yes. Um, but you know, I like this. I've always liked this market cause it's very competitive and I like that. And I think it keeps you sharp and fresh. Um, but, but yes, I mean, I've seen what some of my colleagues have done where they cover high profile teams and quarterbacks and, um, you know, <laughs> it's worked out well for them. 
I know you're from Ohio and you're a big, you know, Ohio sports fan, Cleveland fan, Ohio State football fan. But um, where did you come from prior to D.C.? Were you working? Like, give me oh, your give me your your entire chronology. I came from college. College, so right? I gra- yeah. yeah, I came from college, and and so the story is, um, <clears throat> my wife grew up. She spent a lot of time growing up in the D.C. area. And she graduated from Ohio State about, I think it was six months before I did. Um, I, went, I went four and a half years, partly because one year for the school paper, I had to cover the, I covered the basketball team when Gary Williams was there. And I got to know Gary pretty well. And um, You don't have to apologize so I, for four and a half years of college. It was the best five well, of my life in oh, College Park. Well, listen, the reason, <laughs> but the reason you'll appreciate this, though, because the reason I did it is because when, we were, when I covered the basketball team, it was supposed to be part of a class. Well, I wanted to devote myself to covering the basketball team, so I signed up for a few classes, and then once I got the beat and once we started the semester, the quarter, I dropped all the classes except that one, so I could just focus on that. And I was at every practice, and I was, you know, I was just always there because I didn't have any other right. classes. That's why I had to go an extra. But anyway, so um, she had looked. She was living up in Massachusetts with her mom. And she wanted to. She was looking for a job, and we were looking, you know, Chicago was an area we both had interest in, but she, then she's like, I want to go back to D.C. because I like that area. So I'm like, okay, I'll look there. The only place that had an opening out of the 50 papers I sent to after college was the journal newspapers for people who remember that, Urban yeah. Daily, yeah. Fairfax, Montgomery, PG, Arlington, Alexandria. So they had an opening, and so I got a job here covering that. And so that was several months out of high school. Excuse me, high school out of college, and I was working at a uh, paper part time in Cleveland called the News Herald, which was at an internship at, and you know they let me do some part time work after college. So until I got this, so that's where I came from, and then <clears throat> covered high schools for them for five years before they decided they wanted to cover the Redskins, and they asked me to do it, and there you go. So I kind of showed up with no clue as to how to do this. And I was able to learn from other reporters on the beat how it needed to be done. Because so, I honestly, you don't, yeah, I had no clue. So from the journals, you went to where? Well, from the journals, then it, then, then it, um, they turned basically the Washington Examiner or the Examiner newspapers eventually bought them out, right. turned into the Washington Examiner. And then I was there. I freelanced one year, was just full time freelance covering this team for various outlets. I, Along the way, I started doing it for like the Pro, Pro Football Weekly, for people who remember that. Uh, sporting news. Um, I did stuff for CBS Sports as a, as side, as, you know, um, freelance gigs, in addition to covering it for with the first the journal, then the Examiner. And then was with the Washington Post for a very short time um, as a, you know, I was basically a contractor with the idea of going full-time when, I, when they could get me there and full-time. And then in that interim, um, ESPN called. So that's how it went. And um, so, you know, they, they, like the papers that I was at, they let they took care of me enough to make it palatable stay. And we, my wife had a good situation here. So my kids were growing up here. So we wanted to make it here. Did you grow up in Cleveland? Yes. Yeah. Right, right directly west. Lakewood. My mom still lives in the house I grew up in. Um, 10, 15 minutes from the from Cleveland Stadium. So, yeah, that that's, yeah. 
Um, I didn't intend to do this, but sometimes on the podcast, uh, I do this with, with guests because we have a little bit longer, but, um, just what's your favorite season ever in covering this football team in, you know, 30 or 20, 2012. Or yeah, 2012. Easily, easily. Cause I don't think anything can touch that because it was, um, the arrival of Robert and the, the, the excitement that it generated in this area was unique for, for me be covering this team and you know, then his charisma, everything with it. And then the seven game winning streak, the style of play, the coaching staff that, that had him and the, the creativity they used. And I love, cause you know, I like to go back and rewatch the games and I love doing that. I look forward to doing that. I mean, those, I would do that Mondays and Tuesdays, but like those days were extremely long for me. I mean, there are, there are days where like you start early in the morning and then you're going till midnight because you're watching, like I'm watching every play again. And then I'm watching it on the all 22 in addition to the, to the game, the TV version. But what you, you know, and then writing reports on it, but what you would see is just um, how much what he did how much it fooled the defense and then how the defense would adjust, how the offense would then adjust to what the defense was doing. And then the excitement of that seven game win streak, the promise of the future at that point. And I remember going back to the earlier conversation we had, I remember after they beat Dallas to win the division, leaving, you know, leaving out of the locker room and walking back up to starting leaving outside the locker room area and seeing a front office executive, and, you know, his comment was, I can't remember what I told him, but was like, like that kid's going to get a lot of people paid, and meaning Robert. And so, like, there was all this hope for the future. So, like, that season was the most fun because – and, like, you go back and watch, like, clips from that year, especially, like, the Minnesota game, that touchdown run. Watch the crowd react. <laughs> I would say watch everybody react but Kirk Cousins on that touchdown run, you know, who just <laughs> – everybody's going crazy. You got a stone faced cousin, but like, so it was that level of excitement. And then, and when you're covering a team, like, you know, everybody always thinks that it's the negativity that sells. No BS. It's that stuff. sells. Yeah, definitely. You know, th- that's street because that's sustainable. And, you know, uh, the, um, scandal stuff, it's all, it's like eating a Snickers bar. It's going to f- feed you in the moment. But you're going to be hungry in a little bit. Like th- that year was a meal. So that that's why, like that year, I don't even know if it's. I don't know that any other year. There have been some other years where it's like there have been a lot of good stories to tell. Um, you know, I think shoot, even in Rivera's first year, you had the Alex Smith comeback. You had Rivera the cancer situation, um, but nothing, nothing to me. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look to to see what really would come close to that year as far as the level of excitement around the franchise and, you know, how unique it was. Yeah, I, as you're saying that, I don't know that I've ever given it much thought for myself, um, but in terms of, you know, being now in this business for nearly 20 years, which is amazing to me, um, and you've been doing it for 30, uh, I think 2012 uh, is the year. Uh, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I, I think yeah. I can't remember being more excited um, to watch games, to talk about the games on radio, yeah, the, yeah. you know, for the, all week long. 
Um, there was so much uh, that was cool about it, including him. Um, and as you said, the style of play. Uh, and then, you know, this is why it's going to make for a really, really entertaining and very interesting documentary, especially for all of us. You know, when whenever somebody does something on RG3 in Washington, because literally after that Dallas game, it's a week later that it all comes crashing down. And, and right. it, it comes crashing down in literally one game, and everything starts to snowball uh, in a very negative way for lots of different reasons. And at some point, that will be um, fascinating to watch. And, you know, the people, as you know, uh, the people they get to speak candidly on the record will be the best part um, of it. Because a, oh, lo- a lot yeah. of people probably will just decline to be a part of something like that. I think I think there there are a couple of people we know who would definitely speak on the record about that. Yeah, uh, no um, doubt. And and then they're they're I think yeah. one of them names yeah, one of them reminds um, rhymes with like Manahan. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, well, he's already but, spoken but, so, already so much about yeah, it. Yeah. He said, he said what he said. And yeah. it would be interesting and I think it would be interesting to hear um more players perspective on it because I think we've heard from we've heard from Robert on it. We've heard from Mike on it and a couple other coaches, but yeah, or if a guy, you know, certain other coaches, what are they willing to say on the record? Would Matt LaFleur be willing to go on the record? He was a quarterback's coach who actually got along with Robert, but he was also a coach. He knows what, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what would they be willing to say and what would some of the other players be willing to say about it? And does Robert's perspective ever change over time? And I don't know that it does. I mean, you know, you can... Listen, for all the issues we know existed, and there were some that were starting to brew before yes. that injury, yeah. that, that led to, I think, Shanahan keeping him in the game. But, you know, you, what I can't say is if Robert doesn't get hurt, does, what, does it go south the way it did? I don't know, you know, because, like, when, when he got hurt, it changed his game and it needed him to become a different quarterback in a hurry, and he wasn't ready yet. Yeah. And you know, and that's the part. Like, so I can we can see all that because there are other quarterbacks. Like, you hear things about other quarterbacks, like a Russell Wilson, even where they had their own issues in the locker room, or whatever. But he was still effective. The guy stayed healthy, you know. And did, if Robert doesn't get hurt, does he? Because the one thing that changed with him from a on field standpoint is. He lost that burst around the edge, and he had the straight line speed. But I remember watching him get pursued before he turned the corner, and it's like, oh, last year or two years ago, he doesn't get caught, and and then he's turning upfield, and it's a little bit different. You defend him differently, etc. But once he had to play more from the pocket, it's just that what he wasn't there yet, and it's okay. They knew it would take a little bit of time, so that's where I say like that's the part that's hard to answer is would. What would have happened had he stayed healthy? Yeah, I, I mean it's such a it's a great what if uh, in franchise history. Right. But there were there were major character flaws, and by the Absolute, way, yeah. major flaws with respect to his game that were um, going to be hard to overcome. Starting with, Correct. by the way, just the physical nature of how breakable he seemed to be as a player, um, and, 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 and the, in the yeah. track sort of body that he had um, playing that particular sport. But yeah, yeah. And, and that's. Because, like, he always, the hard part, you know, I admired his style as a rookie, 
you know, but the hardest hits he took, because I remember going back, and this is one of the stories I wrote for the Post that summer um, in my little stint there, was just the hits he took that year and how, because I remember I went back, Kevin, and charted every single play that he would for their offense. And like, and I marked down, I still have it. No, I still have the notebook somewhere. How hard was the hit? What was, what was it off of? Was it off of scramble? Was it off of zone read? And the hardest hits he usually took were when he scrambled and ran downfield. And so like, um, that was, that was part of what they were trying to change is to get him to give up a little bit earlier to protect himself with that, you know? And so I think that's like, does, does, does that mentality ever change? Because that was kind of his style. And so it's a, it's a hard question to answer. You're right. And that's why I say, I think it forced him to become a quarter, a different quarterback that he wasn't quite ready to be. And again, that's not a, that's just, you know, it's hard. And I remember talking to Kirk Cousins about this one time for his style versus like, and I think like guys like Colt McCoy, same way, you know, they, when you become, when you grow up and you're a running quarterback, it's hard to get out of that. I think we saw that with Carson Wentz. He could not play from the pocket at the pace he needed to, and he couldn't get out of jams the way he used to. And, you know, and so I remember talking to Kirk about that. He's like, hey, I was never the greatest athlete on the, on the field, so I always had to play from the pocket. So, he, you know, you grow up that way, and, and it's helped him, I think, survive in the NFL. Whereas, like, again, I, I go, it's not just Robert, it's Cole, it's Wentz, it's guys, you know, who run a lot, who need, you know, that if you get hurt, then it certainly takes something away from your game. And then what's your counter to that? Yeah. <laughs> That's always the hard part. And it, you know, and it, but it is an interesting question. Would it have been any different? We don't know. Um, but you know, what I would be curious to hear if how perspectives change over the years, the further you get from it. Um, but all I know yeah. is, all I know is, and I think in some cases it wouldn't. But I think what I know is that year was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. The, you know, the I remember you know during that time, um, and certainly the few years that followed, um, saying that you know uh, an older RG three hopefully will end up having a different perspective, and he'll look back on this time and acknowledge you know his role in it. But you know the the, the irony of all of this, it's not irony. It's just an inter- interesting contradiction, and that is that. He had the best coaching staff that he would ever have oh, here yeah. um, for the development of him into you know yeah. uh, an NFL style of quarterback, and he had the worst owner. Um, yeah, and so, I would just say that has to be that has to be discussed. That part. yeah, because that part really ended up trumping the the you know wonderful coaches <laughs> yeah. that he could have taken advantage of had he had yeah. a grown up owner who said no. You don't come to me. You listen to your coach. He's your coach. Yeah, no, um, a- absolutely. And yeah. I think that's a key part of it. And you know, and that was, um, yeah. I mean, I and yeah, and it's funny how because Robert on social media now with the sale has been very celebratory that <laughs> Dan is going to be out of there. It's so crazy. But, but it was during yeah. during that period. It was an issue, and it's 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 part, it's reason why. While an owner, you can develop relationships with players, you can't become their buddy because you just have to keep things um, at a level to allow the coaches to perform, you know, to do what they need to do. Um, but I just, you know, it, it, he wasn't the only player that he's gotten to know, no. that he got to know very well, was friendly right. with. But I don't think 
I just think it's a, it's just, it's just not a good thing to have. I mean, again, be friendly, be human with them and, 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 and all that, but you can't, well, you can't empower them uh, above the coach, right? Um, and and that's right. And, and and Dan never understood that, you know, with his star well, players, no. he just never did. Well, um, and, I, and I think you know it's funny because when he took over as the owner, I remember talking to somebody here. It was like their biggest fear was would he know how to put together a team and, and, and treat it accordingly. And part of putting together a team is knowing is kind of that, right? Knowing who should be in charge of these players. And it's not, you know, now you're signing their checks. You're in charge of the owner of the situation, but you've got to let coaches coach. And I don't think Jack Ken Cook was empowering players back in the day. He hired people and let them, let them coach. And, my, you know, it sounds like with Josh Harris, that's what he does. So I think that's an important thing to have as an owner. And it's like that was the other thing. Like, again, the 30 for 30, like you're, you would examine that aspect. What, how did that play into it? And that's where a lot of other players would come into play, and like, what? How did they perceive it? And how did the yeah. how did the coaches perceive it? Because, and I know, I know for a fact, going into that 2013, that there were concerns about that relationship oh, yeah. and how it would play out for them. And and so, you know, it just it's unfortunate because, like I said, it was such a fun year, and Robert was such a charismatic personality that it was it was. You know, you just thought that this is how it's going to go for 10 years. I remember even before that year, going on the radio at the time and just telling someone, like, maybe been the junkies, I don't remember, but, like, just, I don't see any way this kid fails based on what we've seen in practice. Like, this kid is really good. Oh, my God. I don't know how, like. We were all, like, you know, we, and, and, we all bought yeah. in. I mean, but, I, I but have. It was accurate. I have it was one, accurate. I have, it was really good. I have one good friend who said early on, he said, I can tell right now this is never, ever going to work. I don't believe him. He's way too charismatic and too, and too glib. Something's not right there. And I'm like, what? I'm like, look at this dude. I'm like, you're crazy. I was predicting MVPs plural, you know, during yeah. that 2012 season. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah, it was uh, – it was it was such a it was such a great year and it was such a great um sort of rebound from what i always believe was for me the beginning of this thing really has gotten awful and people are starting to walk away from this team and that was the end of yeah. the zorn era in 2009 yeah. that was the first time for me you know as not only uh, you know, a member of the media, you know, um, and but but as a lifelong fan, I could right. feel it, and I and I knew people that were starting to walk away and starting to say, "I'm not paying for tickets anymore. I'm not I'm not going anymore." It was the Zorn ending, and and then all of a sudden in 2012, everybody was back again, which is why you know some people believe that an exciting winner will bring everybody back now, I, and but, I still. And yeah. I still think it will because, listen, one thing, there, there, there may be some fans who don't come back. And, you know, that's too bad. And, you know, you feel bad for a generation that may have been, like, they're, they're just getting pushed out for whatever reason or they just lost their love. I get it. We've, see, we've all seen what's going on here. But you can start to develop a different fan base. Because what would happen for a long time, like the street I lived on, used to live on, all the kids would root for the teams of their fathers. 
And so there, and everybody, because everybody comes from a different area, that's who they're rooting for. There, this area, this team did not give them a reason to latch on to them. You know, there was like you'd have that one year, like 2012, and then followed up with three and 13. You know, you, under Gibbs, you'd have a really good playoff run or a playoff. Uh, you'd make the playoffs, and then the next year wouldn't be as great, and so then the next year would be good. Then he, then he's gone. And so, like, there was there was never a thing to really kind of get that younger generation. So if you can start to build that, that's what they're going to have to do is build that younger generation. But I think you can get that because I don't I don't know why you couldn't. This is still it's still a good football area, and the NFL is still king. That if they give fans a reason to believe, you may be a different fan base, but you can still get them. I think I don't know. Maybe you know I I don't I mean you no. you, you you know a lot of fans, but I. No, that, no, I, I just I, know how the NFL works. I think what's going to be really interesting is to see how they pursue, um, you know, fans and customers yeah. because I do think yeah. that the you know a big part of their strategy will be to go for you know the independent voters I've called them you know the person who hasn't made up their mind because I do think there right. are people that are gone forever now the name is Probably, a big yeah. the name is a major part of that um, and it'll be interesting to see um, how that gets handled because, <laughs> I, because I do I've heard you've been big on that one. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, I, I'm clearly in the majority on this one. I mean, it's like overwhelmingly oh, an issue. It's, yeah. It's, um, not even, it's not even, but it's not even like it, it isn't. It's, it's, I mean, I think everybody knows it has their feelings of a name. My thing has been everything I've heard from this group is it's never suggested that they're going to attack that. Certainly not right away. Yeah, ever. I, I've, so, I've heard recently that it is it, it is something that they are going to look at. The issue is whether or not they can you know practically do anything about it because if they have to stick with it for a couple of years, then it may not you know be worth pursuing. But I well, do, I don't I think, think I don't think new ownership loves the current name. I, I will tell you that. Well, I, I've heard mixed on that yeah. to be honest, and so and and very mixed on that. But what I've heard is they know they have to build something first. And, you know, and so it's not something you're going to come in and do. What I've always said, it's not a top priority for them, and it's not. Because you have to get, you have to find the new stadium, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and build a good, if you, if you don't build a good organization, I don't give a crap what you call them. They're not showing up. They were called the Redskins in 2018 when I'm walking around the mall with Josh Norman watching them hand out tickets to get people to go to a game against their Cooley couldn't give them away down on the mall. Right. You know, exactly. With, so right. they, they had the name that they had the name. Everybody of course, wanted. of people course. Showing up. That, look, and, I mean, this, and I'm not, yeah. yeah, of course, building a winner is the top priority. I mean, even the you, biggest diehard of the old name would say they've got to build a winner, but I think that they right, can walk and but, chew gum at the same time. Well, I, Here's, here's the problem. Like, the money it takes to do that is, is, is quite high. And so, like I said, I've never gotten any indication from multiple people um, that they, that's something that they would want to attack right away. It's just, I just, I've never gotten that. Well, here's the thing, and John. They, if they don't attack it right away, then they shouldn't even attack it. You know, because well, that, I mean, because ultimately I, you're you're letting this name and this branding, you know, linger, which eventually people will get used to. Now, and you I know, think they know that. Yeah, I think they know that. Yeah. And so, that, but my one thing, because one thing I did here is like, well, you know, if it's something that really becomes a stumbling block after the fact, then you have to look at it. 
And I don't think it's something that you would dismiss because we all know. But if you let's say they win, let's say they win 10, 11 games this year and they followed up with a good year next year. And Sam Howell's the guy. And, you know, then what is the appetite for it on any side? You know, and then here's my, my other problem with it is I think people assume that there's an easy fix to this. No, no, there, you're right about that. No, there's not an easy fix because it's not it's right. not the old name that's coming back. Redskins no, is not coming back. I, so, yeah, no, no, there's – I mean, look, yeah. I, I think the easy fix is just to brand the team around Washington. Um, but there yeah, are a lot yeah, of that, marketing yeah, and branding yeah, yeah. people will tell you that that isn't, you know, how you can ultimately leverage <laughs> – um, you know, a, a winning product anyway into the most amount of revenue. I don't know. I uh, put it yeah. this way, John: if they don't, yeah. if they don't look into this, if they don't um, ad- address it, whether or not you know, I, I'm not saying that if they come to the conclusion, hey, we looked into this, and the bottom line is, from an expense standpoint, from a mark standpoint, from just you know everything we've learned, it just doesn't make sense. That's fine, but not addressing it um, would be missing oh, the think, mark with listen, this fan base. I, I think. I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things they'll be addressing that we don't know about behind the scenes. Of course, you know, like there's. A, and so I think that would you have to look at that because if you know they don't like it, if you know that an overwhelming majority has never warmed to it, then you have to look at it. Now, again, being from Cleveland, Indians fan, grew up now the Guardians, and one of the things that helped them is people don't hate the franchise. They get frustrated because they think the owner doesn't spend enough. Right. But they don't hate the franchise. It's been a successful franchise. Yeah. So the you know so while people disliked it and you know make no mistake, man, that was that's that name was there for almost a hundred years. Like it was a it was part you know a fa- part of the fabric of the society in Cleveland, right? And you know everything that went with it. So it's not like one name carried more weight in an area than the other. It's that's just not true. But I think it was easier to accept because of all the feelings around it. You didn't have an owner who was being investigated all the time and who made a, who, who, who basically embarrassed a franchise that had once been a pillar of the NFL. So, you know, I think so those things kind of helped that. And I'm sure, like, listen, you go to an Indian Guardians game now and you're going to see half the people will be in Indian stuff. Um, because, you know, they just, they, I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't like the name there, but they're, you know, but they're, it's just, it's a different situation because of the feelings about the franchise. Yeah. And not only that, bleeding the fan base, it's just, I understand it's different, but my, but I understand, so my point is in all this is I understand very well the whole name change situation from different perspectives. And I do think that like, if you're coming in and again, I did, there was someone who was like, well, you know, if it, if it does if they see once they get here that it's like, oh, this is a problem that that really has to be addressed because, you know, we're doing all this and nobody's showing up and all that, then it's like, but is that alone going to get people back? Like what is let's say you spend twenty some million dollars to change the name and you change it to not a name that is like, oh, that's the name we no, didn't that's like the that challenge. either. That's the challenge. That is, is the challenge. There's and, not and an and easy I know there answer. is like yeah. and there is a five year once you brand you have to wait five years before another rebrand. Now, there's an exception for new ownership. Right. Um, so, like, they could go appeal to it, but if you're the NFL, it's like, dude, come on. You know, so I don't know. Like, but, but I do think, like, yes, I would look at it because if there's something like, and I know other people involved, you know, some of this would probably would have looked at it too. Like, would you, should you look at it? Yeah, you should look at it, but are you, should you attack it first? Hell no. 
you've got other, you've got much more important things to do to get this thing going right. And, you know, it, it takes, it's not just like you can put one person on it and say, hey, you go do this. It's not, you know what I mean? Now, if you look in, you know, you could have somebody looking into it, but then once you make, if you decide you have to go down that road, now you're devoting an army, to, you know, a lot more people to it and resources, et cetera. So it's something you'd have to really, really want to attack. But again, I think, you know, and it, you know, I would make, let me say this, I'm not defending the name. I'm just telling people like what you hear from people in that group that there hasn't been, there certainly has not been the stomach to attack this as a top priority. Now, I've always said, like, down the road, you know, is it something, I, you know, I can't say no because I don't know, you know, and, and, and if it becomes a problem, then I think, you, of course, you have to look at it, of course, because you don't want, you don't want that to be the reason. Um, and I understand, like, the, the rationale from a lot of fans behind it is that, they want, if they're going to move on from Snyder, they want to move on completely. And this is a reminder to them of that era. I get that. I get that. And so that's why I say it's, it's dramatically different than the Guardians, the Indians going to the Guardians because of all those, those other side feelings that as, in, as a Cleveland fan, I just don't, you know, someone a fan of the baseball team, yeah. I don't have to deal with. It's far different. I get that. Yeah, the Cleveland thing is, it's a good point that, um, you know, you you had a team that wasn't despised and hadn't lost Correct. as many fans. But and, and and I would add to that, it's also not the number one team in town. You know, with with a a, a, a history uh, like the the Redskins had with respect to winning and a, well, and, listen, and an era. Yeah, and- and and being such the dominant team in the market, you know, because when well, when the bullets changed to Wizards, look, it was a deal, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the deal that it was with the Redskins' right. name well, being lost. But but anyway, um, we we can spend. Me, can I add yeah, one more point? Sure. Yeah, I have one more point on that yeah. too. Another difference is the Redskins. I know a lot of people who did not grow up in this area who rooted for them because there's the Washington Redskins. And so, whereas in Cleveland, you're growing up rooting for the Cleveland Indians versus the Washington Reds. You know what I mean? Like, so, uh, you know, there are, I meet fans who didn't, you know, from the South and like, it wasn't about Washington. So Cleveland, it's a lot more paternalistic, right? You're, you're, it's more about the city, whereas the Redskins was more about the team. It felt like, now, obviously a lot of people here, they, the, the city embraced it, but there are a lot of fans outside of here who, you know, wasn't just yeah, about, Yeah, it's, it's oh, less parochial. So like, it's, that, yeah. I'm sorry, parochial, right? Yeah. Parental. yeah um, but, 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 yeah, so I think that's also part of it. So I get all that. Like, I know all that. And, I, you know, as a, I mean, shoot, I grew up going to Browns games. They moved. So there are people yeah, who that, have not that's the gone worst. back to that. <laughs> yeah. Right. There, there are people who have not gone back to that because they moved. And so that, but, but yeah, they still sell out because they're, you know, I mean, you have a younger generation that has sure. continued to grow with them. So sure. anyway, well, it look, is, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I will, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll disagree slightly with what the mindset is within some of the uh, ownership group with respect to the name. Now, whether or not well, they there, actually end up, some people in there, yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there are some yeah. of them and, that hate that, that hate the name currently, um, and would love right, to see something done. But, and, but and whether or not, and let. Last thing for me, like the, I will continue to check that out because yeah. you know, I mean, and I take that temperature every once in a while because I am curious, and I, I'm like everybody else. I yeah. am curious. Well, would they? And the last, the last time I checked it out was a few weeks ago or a month ago, and it's like, you know, like someone's like, why did it, why do we keep getting asked about that? 
And oh, they, um, they know. Because, they better know. Well, they, they clearly, <laughs> they, oh, they definitely know. Yeah. But, but at that point, you know, unless it's changed, unless it's changed with Josh Harris, but, I mean, it could be that there's some in there, because I've talked, like I said, I've heard mixed things about the name from people in that group. And it could be over time, the more they study it, the more they realize, oh, maybe there is something. But I know, like, it was not, it has not been, but, you know, people can change their minds, and we still haven't heard from Josh Harris directly right. on it. So that, he's sort of key in this. Yeah, I mean, look, the net of it is this. Um, it is a major priority for the majority and the significant majority of people that call themselves or called themselves fans of the team. So they would be, I think, you know, uh, I I think it it would be overly dismissive to not address it somehow. Now, whether or not they can do something about it is a a, a completely different subject. All right, let's move on. I agree with that. And you have to respect all those feelings. I agree with that. Yeah. but but clearly the priority more than anything else as yeah. it should be and i yeah. think even the the most ardent of of name uh priority people would say oh please no first give me something that you know looks like a real football franchise for the first Correct. time in a quarter of the century right. all right let's talk some football we'll do that right after yeah. these words from a few of our sponsors The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's talk uh, some actual Washington Commanders football uh, with <laughs> John Tommy. I told Tommy yesterday, I'm like, I must have said for some reason I noticed myself saying commanders a lot on the show yesterday, and I said, "God damn it, am I getting used to this? I don't want to get used to it." Um, oh, all right, remember I, when 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 they sorry, I'll never, I know I'll never going, get when, used to when it. They, when they when they I know, and when they changed the name, I remember Joe Theismann that day was telling everybody, you know, hey, if you just go around saying it after a while, oh, you get Jesus. used to it. I'm like, Joe, I, I love him. I have just found it recently where I'm like, oh, am I actually getting used to it now? And so. You know, and my job, listen, whatever they're called, that's what I'm going to write and call of, them. Of course. Because that's their name. Yeah. But it is, it is, it's All been right. very weird. And the hard part for me is that if I say, like, I can't say, you know, com- former Washington commander's corner, Daryl Green, I will not say that because he's not. No, he's and, not. And you're so like, and so like, I always say, like, the franchise won in 91 or whatever. So, anyways, you go All on. Right. Let's talk. Right, let's, talk let, let's talk commanders. Um, their view, as in the commander's view, the coaching staff, et cetera, right now of Sam Howell, more hopeful or more confident? I think both. I think I think I would say more hopeful at this point because until you see it on the field, it's really hard to be extremely confident because you just in any player it's like it's you don't know. But I definitely think they're they're hopeful. And I think they've been for a while um, and I also think after the spring that there are probably things that they saw, like where it's a developmental part of the game where they're, they're very, I think they feel confident that he can be the guy, <clears throat> but hopeful that, you know, certain, but I would lean more, probably a little bit more toward hopeful. I guess, I, I guess I that. didn't, it wasn't the right way to, to, to pitch yeah. um, you on this. Cause to me, hopeful, what I meant to say is, are they more in the mode of just hoping that it turns out well, but they don't really know, but they're, they're hoping, or are they actually legitimately no. confident that this guy can be the guy? I would say, I think they feel good about where he's going. Okay. And I, you know, I, I have gotten that sense for the entire off season. And um, so, yeah, I think they feel, that's why I say like, I think, I just think it's hard to be overly, you know, too confident when, you know, I think the hard part with here, when he's played one game, (laughs) right, right, exactly. And then like, we also know that how many quarterbacks come right in and don't have growing pains. I mean, and, and how many get put in a situation like Brady or Roethlisberger where those growing pains are offset by the talent around them and they're not asked to do a lot. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a big key. But I do definitely think that they feel good about him and feel good about where he's going and what he can be. I, I definitely sense that. Just give everybody a sense of what you think stylistically the offense will look like with him, with him at quarterback. <clears throat> um. So I think you'll see a lot of you'll probably see a little bit more maybe some quicker decisions, quicker throws. You know, because the West Coast obviously the West Coast is built around giving guys a chance to run and make plays after the catch. So I think you're going to definitely see some some of that Dallas game, and you can go back and look what he did well in that game, which is giving guys like Jahan a chance to run with the ball. 
And so I think that you, some of those slants, but I think what you're also going to see with that is, I don't know that necessarily more play action because they did run it last the last year, but I think you may see more effective play action down the field with him because of the arm and I think the design of the offense. I think, but you know what's funny, Kevin? Like really, what I think you'll what I think you'll see is a more effective offense simply because I think the adherence to details is a huge deal here. And I think, you know, I think that's more important than stylistically, that's more important than the style. Because the style last year could have worked if there's, I think, a, like, I, what would always be frustrating is that you'd watch some of the games again, like, why are all these guys in the same area on this route? That did you know, happen. Like, you know that's, and it happened too often. Yeah. Now, the play isn't going to be designed. I think it happened way, more the so year why? before, but but you're right. It, it yeah, yeah. It, did, it did, and it's like it's not like you're not drawing up the play to have it clog like that. I mean, it's just you're not. Right. So why is that happening? And I think those are some of the things. I think you'll see a stronger screen game. Um, I think you'll see you know. Um, I think you'll see more varied drops and putting them in position where maybe more, a little bit more three step get it out situation. But I, again, I, I go back to the details of the of the offense or of, of people's jobs, and that's one thing you saw that jumped out with the enemy this spring is is how demanding he was with that. And I and and shoot, if I'm a fan, that's what I want to hear first and foremost because the style of the offense matters to the you, you have to have the talent to match, and I do think they have the talent to play the way I just said. You have guys who are very good underneath and who can make plays after the catch. Receiver, you also have receivers who can, while you're sending Jahan, McLaurin, even Curtis on some shorter routes, you can send Diami over the top. Or you can send Kerry over the top. You know, yeah. So you have that ability to play that way, but I think it's that adherence to details that will ultimately matter more than style. Is the offensive line going to be a problem this year or not? <clears throat> I think to me that's the big wonder, right? And what I... They have starters at four. Or if they have four new starters. At, or, or they have, yeah, four new starters. So like, I'm going to consider Sam Cosby right guard a new starter because he hasn't played that position before as a starter or over an extended time. Now I think that's actually where he can be very good, but we haven't seen it there yet. He's got to play it, and I like Nick Gates as a center. Um, will he stay healthy? And you got Stromberg as a backup. What's going to happen at left guard? Are the tackle? You know, Wiley. Is he better at guard or tackle? How good a tackle is he going to be? I think those are a lot of questions, you know, um, that you have to answer. Where is Charles Leno at with everything? And so, like, I think you have those are all questions that have to get answered. And so that's that to me is a is a big question. Now, what I don't know, Kevin, is how much does the change in in the style in the scheme can that help them in the play calling? Does that help them? Do you sell? the play action a little bit better than you had in the past couple years to give the quarterback a little bit more time. You know, do you, are you setting things up a little bit better? Are you, are you uh, uh, um, accounting for the pressure and trying to do things, the screen game again, to, to lessen the pressure. So all that stuff we don't know, but um, I think it will be better, but to, it will be, but will it be good enough? I don't know. And I don't think, I think like that line, if you're, Looking at like, I mean, uh, you know, they're going to have to go out and get a tackle next next draft, right? Next yeah. off season somehow, 
And um, so that's going to be those. Those there are definitely questions there. Is it, I, I don't, but I don't know how big a concern it is. As much as there are definitely questions about it, and could it be a could it end up to be a concern? Yeah, but I want to see how play calling, how everything affects the line as well. And you know, we've seen lines here in the past where you don't have all these big name, you know, number one draft picks and all that that have done pretty well. But you have to have the right situation to get that, and do they? And we'll see. I think, but that's that's definitely the thing I'm watching. Because I, you know, their skill talent very good. I like I like where the tight ends. I think they can do. I think the running back group is solid. Um, you know, and then Howell's going to be tied to that line and, and play calling as well. So, you know, we'll see. Kareem Hunt, the report last week, I think it was from Josina Anderson, if I'm remembering yeah. it correctly, um, that there was some interest uh, from the team in him. Are you buying that or not? I haven't heard anything to. To corroborate that, but she, she, I think, put terms like secretly looking into it. Well, if you're secretly looking into it, it's not, it's not getting public. Um, but so I know what I was told, like, and I said this on my podcast too, but what I was told is just they don't know where that's coming from. Is that a flat denial or is that just a, I don't know, you know, I don't, but I haven't gotten that sense. Now, where it makes sense is that the enemy is close to hunt. But if you're checking them out, this is a guy that's close to him. What are you checking out? Um, and you can just put on the film and see if he can still play or not. But if the guy has a good relationship with them, you know, I also know that sometimes things get leaked because you're trying to help a guy's market. I don't know that. The, I'm not saying that's the case here, but that's certainly happened every year that I've been in the cover of the NFL. Um, I also know that they that they like Brian Robinson and they like Antonio Gibson and it was the enemy who wanted Chris Rodriguez. Um, so, but then you go, then I keep going and say, well, I also know that that screen game is a big deal and who ran it well in Kansas city and who, who was a good player for them in Kansas city. But that's like, that's what five years ago. Yeah. So, you know, a lot has happened. If you look at like, <clears throat> I, I would not, so I don't know that I'm completely buying it. Where I would buy it is if it's like, Hey, if something happens in training camp to one of these guys, right. then of course, yeah, that may, that would make sense. I don't know that it would make sense. I don't know that it would make sense for Kareem Hunt. Not that he's like, you know, I, I think, and I always say this too: you chase the, you don't chase the name, you chase the the player where he's at right now. And fans here, Kareem Hunt, like, well, you know, I mean, again, you know where I'm from. I mean, I I was able to watch him a little bit, my and I hear from my family and like about <clears throat> the Browns or whatever, and so. He wasn't as effective, certainly last year. Um, and, you know, you look at Gibson's numbers and just were better. So, you know, but again, would he be good insurance for them? Of course. But if you're Kareem Hunt, you're going to want to go somewhere where you're going to be more than just insurance. And could you guarantee that? So I don't, I'm not sure that I'm there yet based on what I've heard. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock it down 100%. But I just, I'm not there. Chase Young, what are their expectations? Are they are they optimistic? Are they pessimistic? Um, or is it a situation where they have no clue what they're going to get? That's a good question, and I don't I don't know if I could term it exactly one way. I think they felt good about what they saw during minicamp, you know. But you've got to go like he's got to prove it on the field. <clears throat> he's got to show during training camp. 
Um, and I think during the season, obviously, that he's willing to play within what they're asking him to do. Sometimes you're going to allow for some freelance if the guy's making big plays, right? I remember one time talking to Daryl Green about that with Wilbur Marshall. Like they knew he was going to freelance, but they could they would build that they would um, adjust to that within the scheme within the play because they knew what Wilbur might do, right? So you could accommodate his ability to do that. Could, can you do that with Chase if he's making plays? Yeah, but I think I do think what they felt good about was that he looked more confident in the knee during practice. Right. Now, again, his shorts and a helmet, so we all understand that. But he looked more confident, and I think one of the big things that I would hear at the end of the year last year was they wanted him back on the field so they didn't have to go through this adjustment period this summer. They knew the knee was fine, the doctors had cleared it, but they wanted him to get past that mental hurdle at the end of last year so he didn't have to go through it this year. And so I think that's where they feel good. Now, He's got to go out and do it. And, you know, um, so that's the part where I don't know that you can say, like, oh, I think this guy's going to do it. Because we haven't seen enough. You know, I don't know that did you really see enough to know that. Well, it was just, again, shorts and a helmet. But he looked confident. He looked explosive. And I think you'd have to feel good that, like, hey, maybe this guy can come back and, and be the kind of guy that we thought he could. Um, right. if, I'm gonna, you're, if you're thinking like them. I'm going to let you um, handle this answer. Because you brought it up that they wanted to see him at the end of last year. They wanted him to get over that mental hurdle. What week do you think that they thought he was ready to play? Probably a couple weeks earlier than than when he came back. So why didn't he play Um, against Atlanta, as an example? There were – boy, I'm trying to remember back to then. I know there were a couple times where I think he just – didn't feel like he was ready, and they wanted him to feel like he was ready. I think they got to a point where they're, I think they were just going to play him regardless because they knew that his knee was fine. He just had to go through it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but it's, you know, you're, you're testing my memory a little bit. It's here, okay. I think, it's all right. It's fine. Yeah, I, I, there, you I you answered the question. I, 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 yeah. I've talked about it before that they – they were hoping that he would be and thought he was ready to get back out into the field Correct. several weeks earlier. Um, Correct. You yeah, know, and it, yeah, and it ended up being in San Francisco that he uh, returned. All right. Um, the gap right now between Philadelphia and, you know, the projected last place team, Washington, how big is that gap? Um, it's funny because we just did this for ESPN.com. We had a little round table and that was the que- the first question. And my answer was, you know, bet- I mean, there's a definite gap because it's, it's, it's the two things we talked about earlier, offensive line and quarterback. It's Jalen Hurts in that line because I think everywhere else you can say they're there, you know, but those are two pretty big areas. I mean, this defense, this defense should be really good. Agreed. And, you know, they, statistically, they were better than Philadelphia's last year in, in some, in a lot, in definitely in, in several areas. Not every one of them, because I think Philly had a really good defense, but in certainly they they were right there. And you know, again, skill guys. You know, I I like what these guys have. Now, do they have Dallas Goddard? No, but I think Logan Thomas can be definitely effective again based on what we saw this spring. And. Um, so then it's like, well, where is, where is Sam Howell compared to Jalen Hurts? And then that offensive line. That's a really good offensive line. The Eagles have done a good job building that up. There aren't questions about how good is that line going to be. You know it's good. 
you know, now things change every year, but like, so that's where the gap is. And so the gap is, and I think I even put in my answer in that question, you look at the total QBR for the teams and it's a significant difference. And for I think the Eagles were like 64. Yeah, I just QBR. found I just found what you were talking about. It was um, right. Washington's QBR last year, 39.1, 26th in the league, and Philadelphia's was 63.4, third in the league. Um, and, and when you yeah. look at that QBR, the reason that stat is important, I think I have like the top 11 teams. Of those top 11 teams in total QBR, winning record. 10 of them all had a winning record, 10 made the playoffs. Yep. So like that's why that set is important. Whereas you look at the bottom, like twelve or thirteen, all had losing records. So that's where the gap is. And can can they close that? And it's going to have to be Philly coming back a little bit. And and then you know Philly's going to have some questions in their defense. They replaced a lot of guys. Are those guys ready to play? We'll see. You know, and and but Howell's going to have to produce for them to really close in. I do think this team can move up in the division. I don't, you know, I definitely think they can move up. I think they can contend for a playoff spot. But can they, can they challenge, you know, are they ready to challenge the Eagles? I think it'd be really hard to say, it'd be really hard to say that at this point. Boy, you know, um, I just looked it up. That's, that's a real, not that it's not intuitive to any football fan that, you know, the highest QBR numbers are teams that are going to end up with winning records and and the playoffs. Um, The top 11 quarterbacks finished with a winning record, 10 made the postseason, and the only team that didn't nearly made it, and that was Detroit with Jared Goff. The nine and eight. Yeah. And they were nine nine and eight. eight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and so, yeah, it's, it's, and it's more than passer rating because passer rating is going to be no no you you, the QBR number we're looking at the QBR yeah we're looking at Correct, QBR right number. and that's yeah. why I'm just explaining to people yeah. like why I use that obviously it's an ESPN stat but it's also to me more indicative of, of success than like passer rating that's right um, all right uh, last two for you and I'm not holding you to this okay it's only Uh-oh. June 23rd but. Um, and we'll and we'll, get, we'll do this again in late August or early September. Um, but uh, I want um, first of all, I want you to pick the order of the NFC East, and then I want uh, you to tell me how many wins for Washington. Well, I mean, I'm still I'm sticking with Philly because there's no reason not to, even though there hasn't been a what was the last repeat winner was what 2005 or something like 2004, that. 2004, yeah. 2007, Eagles, yeah. 2004. Yeah, three. Oh, three. Oh, four. So, like, but every year, you know, someone's going, and I'm going to stick with them because I do think there's a gap with them. However, you know, I could certainly see somebody else. I like these guys over the Giants. Um, I, I don't know. I. I <laughs> Maybe I'm foolish on that. I think it's hard with to put them ahead of Dallas right now. It's certainly hard to put them ahead of Dallas because we we just don't know enough, Kevin. Like, how good is Howell going to be? So I'm going to put I'll put him third right now going into camp, um, and maybe that's a little bit optimistic just because you know Daniel Jones um, and you know. But where's Barkley? Is Barkley going to be back? You know, what's going to happen there with that situation? Is that going to be an issue? Um, I just, I'm not, I just not sold on the Giants completely. Yet. Okay. So, uh, how many wins? Yeah, that, um, for the third place God, commanders. That, <clears throat> it's so hard right now because there's so many questions that if it's, you know, I could see nine, but I just think that, I think that's like, I could see them winning nine or 10, but if that's dependent on how doing, being a good quarterback, not just developing into one, but being one. You know, and then how they use them. But I don't think you can under, 
state the impact of the enemy. I just think he's going to have, I think it's, he's good for this organization. Um, so, you know, we can go there, I guess, but I don't know that I feel great yet because there's just too many questions right now. But I think, you know, listen, if, and if Howell doesn't work out, I think Brissett could come in and, and be the kind of guy they need. Um, he's not the big play guy, but I think with this defense and potential run game that he could be okay. He could be good for them, right? You know, good enough. But, you know, so right. I guess I'll go there. I don't know that I feel good about <laughs> That's that good. number. No, third place, nine wins, and that would, you know, be uh, an indication that the division's going to be very good again, top yeah, to bottom. Yeah, and, and I, um, think, I think it's hard to, it's hard to go because, like, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, you know, injuries play a factor in that. But I do think, like, just knowing what we know now, you know, um, I like this team's defense a lot. I think they played really fast uh, this spring, and I like the new guys they've added. Just that the questions are again, you know, I I like Howell, but when is you know when will he be good? Because there's always like you know their their thing is like oh he can be better than Heineke, but when 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 will that happen? Will it happen? Is it right now, or is it going to be that way? And then you know, and then so what level can he get to? And then you look at that schedule and, like, you better start off pretty strong. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult. And so that's where this thing can get tripped up is if you don't start off, you know, with, you know, with three and three or four and two, you're going to have some – you could have some issues down the road. And that's where it could get off the rails a little. Now I say off the rails. I think they're too good to get off the rails. <laughs> but I, I agree. But, like, I think they're too good defensively to win three games and get yeah. Caleb Williams. Like, I, oh, yeah. I don't and see I, that you know, happening. Funny, but you never know. Injuries could when, completely – that happens injury, all the time. Yeah, but, and, and, like, it's funny because every time something happens with this team, I get texts from people last year like, they're only going to win four games. They're like, they're, they just have – they're too much – they have too much for that. It's like – just because Dan Snyder is being investigated doesn't mean the players in the field are going to be right. really bad. Like it's not going to change that. Oh, now suddenly Deron Payne and John Allen aren't any good. No, like they're good, and like I like what they've built defensively, and that. And I do think that. <clears throat> I mean, I really I can't understand. I have a story on Bienemy going up. I think it's going up this weekend about like just the impact he's made already. And I mean, there's just a difference, man. And it so. You know, but there's still questions. We, again, I don't care how much faith you have in Howell. We don't know when it's going to happen for him. And there's always an adjustment when you have a new offense, a new coordinator, and a, and a young quarterback. It's just, there just is. And so can you win while he's developing? That will be the key. Have they built enough around him? To yeah. help him. Rarely, so he, rarely he does that coach. happen. You know, even if Sam Howard. Howell turns out to be the guy, well, um, and it's clear this year that he's developing many, towards being the guy, most times in that first year of right starting, now? you don't end up with a winning record. And in, how many in the wins playoffs. would you put him at right now? Um, if he starts all 17 games, I, I think it's probably like somewhere in the six to eight range. They're not going to be a playoff okay. team because, again, no. I mean, it doesn't happen that way unless you've yeah. got Patrick Mahomes, and I don't believe they have Patrick Mahomes. And, and I'm I not think ready to go like, there. To me, and I don't know if that's like, am I giving you the most optimistic? Because I don't know. I mean, I could see, I could see seven wins if it's like that. 
You know, because, I could see, I could um, see feeling really good at the end of the year about six or seven wins because Sam Howell showed that there's a really good chance he's going to turn into the well, franchise quarterback. But I think if he shows if he shows that, I think it's going to be more than six or seven because the defense I think is yeah. Good but enough. it may it, he may not really show that until later in the year. It may be an evolving, developing key. thing. Yep. Yeah, and, All right. and that's why I say we don't know when it will happen. But if it does, and so I think that's a to me a best case scenario for them would be nine or ten. Um, no, you're and, you're and at nine. Shows, you're at nine. You're at nine in third well, I'm, place, I'm and I'm holding you to that. No, 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 no. I'm no. kidding. I think that's an optimistic we'll do, take. We'll do. Yeah, we'll do this. We'll do this in September. <laughs> although, <laughs> although it's not yeah. like in September we'll have a better grip on things. I don't. Well, um, I think we will because we'll get that Baltimore scrimmage. That'll help a lot. Okay. The old Baltimore scrimmage is going <laughs> to really tell us a lot. I'm glad they're scrimmaging. Don't get me wrong, but I, yeah. I don't even think we know five weeks into a season um, no, who is really and, good and, and who be, who's I just, bad. I right. think you know, and, yeah. and so I could see in that seven to nine range. So who knows? I, I don't know. You're the best. Right. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for spending so much time, um, John yeah. underscore Kime on Twitter. And don't forget, John's got a podcast too. It's called the Kime Report. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. I will talk to you, I'm sure, uh, soon and pro- and more, more likely than not, prior to the next time we do this on radio or on the podcast. Very Thanks. Good. All right, Kevin. Thank you. John Kime, everybody. Uh, John is truly one of the really good people um, in the business here uh, locally. Uh, great guy and does a great job. All right, we are done for the day. I'll be back on Monday.